bless it by um, asking in your son's authoritative name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I'm down in the trenches with you this morning for a couple of reasons. One, I got to get used to this because we're going to the theater and I'm not lugging that thing. Uh, and two, because of the, the topic, we're in a five part series uh, starting today in Ephesians chapter six. Not all of Ephesians, just chapter six and not all of chapter six, but just the portion in chapter six that's familiar to so many of us about Paul telling us to don the armor of God. Um, what does that mean? Um, go to the army and navy and get a bulletproof vest. What is he talking about? Spiritual things, um, but they're no less real. I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It's a New Testament letter. So towards the back of the Bible. After Romans, after First and Second Corinthians. Ephesians chapter 6. As I was thinking about this idea of what Paul is addressing, I thought of boxing. Now I'm not, I'm not really into boxing. I don't, it's just two guys wailing on each other for 12 rounds. I just, I don't know, there's other manly things to watch, I guess. But I think part of the reason why I haven't enjoyed it is I don't really understand it. You've got judges sitting off to the side counting points. Do you guys know that? I mean, when I'm a kid, they're just like, pff, 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 pff. who's going to fall first? That's the, you know. Uh, but no, it's more than that. Because neither of them fall and they've got to tally up points. And this guy gets this many points. This guy landed this many blows. He did this many things. And they compare points. Now, I don't know how they calculate it. I don't know what's a point or what deducts a point. I, I guess biting off an ear deducts a couple points. I'm not sure. But, but, but there's points. However, if one guy in the blue trunks is destroying the guy in the red trunks, I mean, he's racking up points, he's landing all his blows, the other guy's not landing any blows. But at the end, the other guy who's just been getting pummeled lands the right punch and the other guy can't get up. Who wins? The guy's standing. Paul is writing the letter of Ephesians to Christians because he's concerned. And his primary concern, I think, is that there's a lot of Christians that rack up a lot of points along the way, but in the end, they fall. They don't stand. Now, in retrospect, we look back and there are other portions of Scripture that help us see that um, really those weren't points they were racking up. Really, it was just external religion. This is why Jesus talks so much against the Pharisees. You, you, you wash the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is dirty. There's all kinds of things that we can do that are religious. We can, we can do religious things. We can be involved in religion and be really good at religiosity. But that will not make you stand when the tough times come. The points that you rack up, how many rounds you go, that's important. And it's important to stay in the fight and it's important to do the best you can day to day. But the goal is not racking up points. The goal is that in the end, you're standing in the end, you're a worshiper. No matter what hits you that round, no matter what hits you this coming round when you leave these doors, you stand, you worship, you walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received from God. So Paul writes this letter, and he's like a coach, right? He's, he's like a coach with his boxer, 
And, and he's trying to train them. He's trying to train them. This is how you live life. This is what first he goes through three or four chapters just talking about salvation. Guys, it's not by works. It's not something you do. It's not by racking up points. It, you, you are saved because of God's grace. And after that, he starts getting, he starts bringing it down into the practical realm. Guys, the, the way you talk to each other, the way you walk with each other, unity as a church and as a body of Christ and not backbiting and, and speaking truth and love and, and making sure you understand truth from false. You can tell a false teacher from a truth speaker and, and these kind of things. And then he brings it down into the home. Wives, how you deal with your husbands, husbands, how you work with your wives. And, and back then, part of the home was wives and not only spouses, but children as with today, but then also slaves and masters. So that's why he has those three in Ephesians 5. Look, even in the home, this isn't just about church on Sunday. When you get in the car, how you speak to your wife, that's what I'm talking about. When you get to McDonald's and you sit down and and your kid spills the drink, how you respond to that child, that's what I'm talking about. So he brings it from this ethereal realm of like grace and theology, and he brings it spiraling all the way down to spilled milk. How you treat your children. Children, how you respond to your parents. Husbands, how you love your wives or don't. Wives, how you respond to your husband's love and leadership. Down to the very details of home life. And then you know like the coach has been training this boxer for like months. And then they're walking down that aisle, the spotlights are on, that corny looking silk robe with some corny nickname on the back. And, and the coaches, I kind of massaging them and, and giving them the last few words before the ring, the, the last few words that, you know what, all the training, all the exercises, all the tips I gave you, here's the last few things. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, if you turn there, um, in verse 10, he starts by saying, finally, you know, my parting thoughts, the way I'm going to close this letter, after everything I've just taught you, after all the details I just gave you, finally, here's what I need you to know. As you step into that ring so that you can stand, here's what I need you to know. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore. And he continues describing the armor. All throughout this verse, he keeps repeating, stand. This is so that you can stand. This is so that at the end, no matter how hard the fight, no matter how long the fight, no matter how many things are thrown at you, you can stand. And the way that you stand is by being strong in the Lord. We're going to spend a few weeks here kind of unpacking this um, for a couple different reasons. One is because this is true for everybody, every Christian at all times. This battle is happening. But I think especially for a church that's gearing up to do something big, like a relaunch, this is, this is especially a crucial time. Because the enemy can thwart, the enemy can derail us. Um, he wants us to stand. The first lesson that he gives us in order to stand, in order to be strong, is to recognize who our enemy is. I mean, some of us think, you know, 
if the wrong president elected, that's our, that, you know, if the wrong president got elected, that's our enemy all of a sudden. Oh, there's a, you know, the president this or the president that. But the president is not your enemy. Some of you walk around life like your dad, that jerk of a father who treated you so badly. You have traumatized, you're traumatized, you have bitterness, you can't forgive. That's your enemy in life. You just walk around thinking that's your enemy all the time. You think about him all the time. You think about the, some of you think your spouse is your enemy. If I, if I only, if, if I only didn't marry so young, I would have picked wiser choice and I would have, you know, your wife is not your enemy. He says, look, we're in a battle. And most of us go, yeah, I battle every day. Every day is hard. Every day is tough for me. I go to work and it's a battle. I hate my boss. No, it's not your boss. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. Verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, guys. But against whom? Rulers, authorities. Well, what do you mean? Like kings and princes? Yes, yeah, see, I told you, president. That's what I said. No, no. Cosmic powers. Over this present darkness. Why is the world so dark? Why is there so much suffering? Why are there so many wars? There's darkness in this world. Why? Well, there's cosmic power behind it. The cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. All those things are just descriptions or just uh, synonyms. They're just explanations of what he already gave us in verse 10. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. He didn't just say against random schemes, against the schemes of the devil. A long time ago, I was impacted by a small but um, awesome book, I think. And this is my first and original copy. Pastor Dan had two of these and he gave me a new one, but I still go back to the one that I, as a teen, you know, highlighted and the pages are coming off and stuff. How to Pray by R.A. Torrey, the second president of Moody Bible Institute. Listen to what he says. This rubric says the necessity of prayer, right? Why pray? Before he talks about how to pray, he just wants to talk about why. Before he convinces you how to do it, he wants to convince you to do it. Why pray? Listen to what he said. And this guy is not, he's not Pentecostal. He's not super charismatic. He's not one of those guys that spouts off on, you know, there's a, you know, demon behind every bush or anything like that. Listen to what he says. Why is this constant, persistent, sleepless, overcoming prayer so necessary? Because there's a devil. Because you're in a fight. You might think back to the Rocky series and, and Apollo's trying to train Rocky and he's punching him and Rocky's kind of half-hearted and he's like, hey, wake up, man, Mr. T or whatever his name was in the movie. He's going to kill you tomorrow. He's going to kill you. We're not training because it's fun. We're not training so you can have ripped abs and look nice for Adrian. We're training because you're going to die if you don't get this training right. And so Paul writes this whole letter and it's filled with wisdom, how to speak, how to talk to people, how to, how to have a marriage, how to have children, how to, you know, all these kind of things, and even in the household level. And he's saying, why is this important? Why do you have to strong, uh, stay strong in the Lord and in his might? Why do you have to stand up against schemes is because there's a devil behind it. It's a person. It's not an impersonal thing. It's not like the force. You know, some religions talk about bad karma. It's impersonal. It's just sort of, hey, bad things happen. And sort of, he's saying, no, the Christian perspective, there's an actual person, a diabolical person. He speaks, he thinks, he acts, he exists. And he's not behind everything. If you go and you stub your foot on the, on the lamp, and, oh, the devil... Probably not. 
You know, there's only one of him. And sure, there's probably a lot of his underlings. But he's not behind everything. You burn your hand on the stove and you start rebuking hell and Satan and his demons and you get a new stove. That one, you know, you exercise the oven. and No. But sometimes we swing all the way to the other end of the pendulum where like nothing is ever anybody else's fault. It's just things happen, a random storm, random, you know. If we go to the relaunch and suddenly the sound goes out, it's like, oh, just random chords. Maybe. But I mean, have you been reading the Bible? I mean, the, the, the devil approached Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus is about to do something big, and the devil didn't hold it, you know, delegate it to some underling. He's like, I got this. And he goes, and I mean, it was a challenge for Jesus, but it's, it's, it was a conversation. They weren't just thoughts that Jesus had, and they just call it the devil. We kind of make fun of this, like in Hollywood, and like, there's like this Adam Sandler movie, and they make fun of his mom's always calling everything the devil. Football's the devil. Everything, that's the devil. And we just make fun of it, and it's funny. And I think I have relatives like that. Everything's the devil. They're always rebuking stuff. Oh, my goodness, traffic. I'm rebuking the traffic. It's the devil. And it's like you grow up, and you're like, what devil? What are you talking about? It's traffic. But that's the wrong extreme as well. You know, the devil behind every bush is a wrong extreme, but there is no devil. Don't go there. There is. He is active. He is scheming. And he's not an impersonal sort of, I'm not doing anything, devil. He's not there biting his nails like, I wonder what's going to happen. Is the relaunch going to work? Is this, per- this person got baptized? Darn it. I mean, are they going to grow now? He's going to go, let's do whatever we can to derail this guy. Because if he gets on fire, he's going to start a small group. And if that start, small group gets on fire, it's going to birth another small group. And now we're losing the community. You go back to the garden. Um, you know, Lucifer was a was an angel. He was an angel of light. He was the he was the highest angel. He was in the most command. He had the most power, and he wanted to be like God. Pride, pride got him kicked out of heaven. He took a third of the angels with him. We don't know how many that is, but it's probably a lot of spirits, a lot of demons that he took, fallen angels. And then the first thing he did, he didn't wait for. For Abel and Cain and Seth, he went right at Adam and Eve and deceived them with the same thing that deceived him. You can be better. You can be bigger. This is why I can't stand you go in the bookstore and you see books like, You're, live a better life. No, that's, that's, that's Satan's message for you to live a better life. Our better life is in heaven. Right now it's a battle. And this message of, you know, this plastic smile and the TV preacher, and it's like, God doesn't want you to have hard times. Are you kidding me? We're in a battle. What else is it supposed to look like? Of course there's going to be hard times. You don't train for a fight to, to, you know, and then you expect it to be a buffet. It's a fight. Why is it a fight? Because there's a devil. And it's not just a devil floating around doing nothing. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. One reason why I don't like playing chess is because I'm not good at scheming. I can't think one or two, two or three moves ahead. I'm like, there's a queen. Let me eat it. Uh, you can't do that, Lucas. Why not? I ate your queen, man. Don't be mad. Yeah, because you're exposing your king and you're putting yourself in check. You can't do that. <clears throat> you know, I can't see ahead. And then some of these guys are really good at chess. They, I mean, as soon as you make your first move, they're like, <laughs> silly guy, in 15 moves, you're in checkmate. What? Because they can see they're scheming. 
Uh, I just play Scrabble. Here's a letter, you know. <laughs> Look, the devil schemes. He can see moves ahead. Okay, you're going to go here, so I'm going to go here. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to come in this way. And he's been doing it for a really long time. And he's good at it. If he wasn't good at it, Paul would be like, hey, this guy, the devil, don't worry about him. No. <laughs> it's a battle. It's a fight. There's a person behind it. And it's Satan, it's Lucifer. And they're not little weaklings. I heard this story growing up. It's, there's no way it's a true story. It just becomes one of these urban you know, Christian legend things that a spiritual pastor or something was praying. And at night he lays down in bed and the devil comes to him and shows himself. And he rolled over and he looks at the devil and he goes, oh, just you. And he rolls over, goes to sleep. Sleep soundly like a baby. And the point of the story is like, see, you're not supposed to be scared of the devil. He's just a punk if you got Jesus. To Jesus, he's just a punk. But if you rolled over and just said, eh, the devil, you don't know who that is. And you don't know what you've gotten yourself into by getting baptized. There's a devil and he schemes. And the way he describes the devil and his powers, the devil and his resources, is no joke. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I wish it were that easy. But against rulers. That means they rule. I mean, that, that means, he says they're rulers. And then he says they're powers. Cosmic powers. He says they're authorities. That means they have authority. Spiritual forces. That means they have force. Do you see what Paul is getting at? They're not just little cheap little things you could flip aside. The devil schemes and he has power. He has authority. Now, God has power over all things. But he's allowed Satan some ground. You remember the story of Job? Satan destroys Job's life, but he only did it under the permission of God. Now, we're not going to get into all of Now, why does God allow this versus that? I don't know. I don't even know how to play chess, for crying out loud. I can't explain to you why someone is in the hospital and someone else is not. And I, I can't go there right now. But the point of this passage is that they, they are not without any authority. So your mind starts racing. What can they do? In the story of Job, they produce storms. They produce sickness. With Jesus in the wilderness, he puts thoughts. He can take a thought and stick it in your mind. Not if you're a Christian. How about if you're Jesus? So if you do it with Jesus, he can have that argument with you. Don't go to church today. Don't let her get away with that. You need to do this to that person. It's okay. Nobody will find out. Now, some of those thoughts we come up with ourselves. I know for me, I don't need a lot of help to come up with some of those thoughts. Thank you very much. But he can do it. He can scheme and know what thoughts to put in your mind. He knows where your weaknesses are. He knows where to come at you. Their rulers, their powers, their spiritual forces, their authorities. One other book. Uh, I normally don't recommend a, a ton of books. How to Pray Bari Tori. This one's already online on the website. C.S. Lewis wrote a classic. This is a classic. They've already done skits on this. Not already. This is written in 42. Um, the Screwtape Letters. It's kind of an, a genius idea. These are a collection of letters. Each chapter is a letter from one demon to another. 
a higher-ranking demon to a lower-ranking demon. The higher-ranking demon's name is Screwtape, and the lower-ranking demon's name is Wormwood. Wormwood has been assigned to a person. They call him his patient. And that person is thinking about Christianity, he's not sure, you know, and Wormwood's job is to get him off track. I mean, there's an episode where, you know, he, he tells him, look, the, the way... Wormwood, the way to distract them is not to argue. Don't argue evolution versus creation and stuff like that. That's the wrong track. Eventually, when you get the person reasoning, we're on, we're on trouble ground. You need to distract them with things that are here and now, things that are just distract them. He said, one time I had a patient, he was in the museum, and he was looking at a painting. He was just struck by the beauty, started thinking about God, started questioning his atheism and all this stuff. You know how I got him distracted? Lunch. I said, you know what, you're hungry. And you're too hungry to think, you know, you're, you're too hungry to think about this. And then I can, I can tell that our enemy, capital E, and when they say enemy here, they mean God. I can tell that, that the enemy was putting in his mind, that God was putting in his mind, no, this is important. Forget lunch. You need to think about this is an important, this is the most important decision you can make. And you know how I responded? Too important to think about while you're hungry. Better to go get some food. He went and got some food, then he got distracted, he got a phone call, and I won. Is that a true story? No, but in a sense it's true. Right? This is how the enemy operates. And it's a fictional book, but it just gets your mind thinking, like, what could it be? Every time I'm hungry, it's not a distraction. But could there be times when, when it, it is a distraction? Something behind it, a spiritual force behind it to get me to not do what I know the Lord is calling me to do. Listen, if you're a pooped out Christian who doesn't care anymore, you probably don't have a lot to worry about. But if you're getting hungry, right, you're, you're, you're saying, you know what, I want to grab a hold of the calling that God has given to me. I want to get serious about this. I want to train. I want to grow. I want to mature as a Christian. I want to be equipped. And you need to be careful. You're the one that is going to be schemed against. You're the one that's going to see more spiritual warfare. Last thing he says, and the last thing we'll point out today on this verse. He says, they're rulers, verse 12, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. And we're against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. That means you can't see them, right? I mean, there's a realm, there's, call it the heavenly realm, a spiritual realm, a spiritual place where things are happening and are real, but we can't see it. I mean, this is why it's so subversive and so, you know, it's not intuitive for us to pick up on what the enemy is doing because you can't see him. You can't track it. It's hard to tell. Was that him? Was that me? Or am I just not feeling good? I mean, but it's no less real. It's in heavenly places. And so what Paul is trying to do at the end of this letter is trying to get them to put on lenses that allow them to see past the obvious. Now, Paul's not saying everything's fake, guys. This is fake. Rich is not a real person. This is, I don't exist. We're not really here. No, he's not saying this is very real. This is very true, but it's parallel and alongside a heavenly realm. 
a spiritual realm, which is also true and also real. And if the devil can just convince us that that doesn't exist, and the only enemies we ever have is flesh and blood, the only thing we ever have is flesh and blood, then he's already won. But if we can open our eyes and see past the pews, past the people, past the conversations, past the relaunch, past the calendar, past money and things, events, and see past it to strategies and schemes, then we're starting to gain ground. Some of you remember, think back to high school or college. You remember the, some of the tough English assignments you would get? And you know that if the teacher assigns you a book, I want you to read this book, guys, and I want you to write what the book, tell me about the book. What, is this, what does it mean? And you write your report and all you do is recount what the story said, you fail. And some of us probably that were shell-shocked by that. Wait a minute, you said read the book. It was a story about a guy named Jack, a girl named Jill. They climbed up the hill, they fell, he busted his head. And I told you, that's what the story said. And they go, nope, that's not what the story says. What does the story say? And then the professor starts talking about caution and starts talking about sometimes you're having fun, but if you don't listen to mom and dad, you can bust your head. And it's not just your head. You can ruin your life. You can ruin relationships. Jack and Jill? Some people love it. Some people go, oh, yeah, it's not about Jack and Jill. Jack is just the everyman. Jill is just any person. The crown is not just your head. It's, you know, and they start going into imagery about what the crown means and all this stuff. The English teacher is trying to get you to see past the letters, past the page, past the characters, past the conversations to what the author is really trying to communicate. There's something else going on. Moby Dick is not about some grumpy dude trying to hunt down a whale. There's something else, past hurts, bitterness. I don't know. I'm not a Moby Dick expert. That just came into my head. Sorry. I wouldn't suggest starting with that one. These stories are, they use symbols. The authors use motifs, they call it, to communicate something else. It's not just about the characters going on, but there's something else going on behind the story that the author's trying to tell you, and the English teacher's just trying to get you to pull that out. Stop reading just word for word, letter for letter, I'm done with the book. Read past it. Read past it. Paul's trying to say, guys, you walk around and you've got a boss at work, you've got a spouse at home, you've got kids noisy in the van throwing stuff and, you know, making drawings on the whatever. See past that to what's happening. When your kids are hitting each other, you go, stop hitting each other, you're driving me crazy. We take a pause. Look past, why are they hitting each other? One of them feels like a middle child is jealous of the other. Well, then address that because that's the spiritual reality going on behind the, the physical action of hitting. You come home and you're upset because food's not on the table. She's upset because you've been gone all day. And you argue and you go in these circles all, you know, and you've been married for 20 years. The same arguments over and over. Hold on, time out, time out. Are you really upset about food? Hold on, time out, time out. Are you, are you upset that I'm not home? No, that's not really what I'm upset about. What are you upset about? Seeing past it to what's happening. What are the schemes and strategies behind it? What are the possible schemes and strategies behind it? If you're upset with someone, if you're bitter against somebody, you haven't talked to your dad in 50 years, why? 
Well, because in 1983, he did, okay, that's the physical action. What's behind it? Maybe he's a lost, pitiful soul that needs Jesus, and you need to step up as a Christian. The devil has him ensnared, and you've been freed, and you're still waiting for the one that's ensnared to make the phone call. Do you see the pers- this perspective switches when you start realizing there's schemes, there's authorities, there's powers in heavenly places that want nothing more than for my dad to go to hell and for me to not do anything about it. Schemes, powers, authorities. We end on this note. Ephesians 6 is part of a whole letter, and I just want to bring you back to chapter 1 real quick. Chapter 1. Verse 20. Just write in the same book you are. We're in chapter 6. Just flip back two pages or so to chapter 1. And look at down verse 20. He's trying to encourage the, the believers in Ephesus about how their salvation is secure, how it's in, based in Christ. And he tells them that God and His great might worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above, now he's talking about heavenly places, right? Far above, he's placed Christ far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Jesus Christ has no superior. Jesus Christ has no match. It's not really a battle. It's not a yin and yang. Jesus has all authority. And that's why this passage started with him saying, finally, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in his strength, the strength of his might, not in yourself. Your focus is not supposed to be on the enemy and looking behind every bush to see if an enemy is there. Your focus is supposed to, you're supposed to realize that could be true. Your focus is supposed to be Jesus himself. Your focus is on the Lord. Because he's the conquering king. He's the one that supplies power. He's the one that supplies strength. And so how do we stand in the end? How do we stand? And Do we just go to more marriage counseling and more parenting classes and more anger management classes and more classes and counseling and read more books? Maybe some of those things will help. But the Lord has to be right in the middle of it. Jesus has to be the authority in your life for him to give you strength against the powers and rulers of this present darkness. If Jesus isn't number one, you can't gain strength from him to fight the good fight. Jesus needs to be on top, above all things. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we need to recognize our weakness and stop kidding ourselves that we can do better that we can kick that habit, that we can break that vice, that we can muster up the strength to forgive somebody, that we can just, if we just try hard enough, that we can love our spouses better, love our children better, that we can be more faithful and honest in the things that we do day to day. But Father, if we rely on our own strength, none of those things will be true. 
And we ask that as we look around and see that there is a devil, he's like a lion, roaring, prowling, looking around, just looking to see somebody he can devour. The last person in the pack, the person that's not paying attention, the person that's straggling behind and just pounce on them to eliminate them and, and, and put them, get them out of the picture and make them just a, a no worry. Father, we ask that you would give us strength, that you would help us to focus on you, to worship you, and that you would help us to stand. And we're strong in your might, that we needn't fear the devil, we needn't fear the enemy, that we have been equipped by you to be strong and to withstand, and that when we leave here, the devil can throw sickness at us, can throw ill health, can throw a job loss, can throw um, relationship woes, and all kinds of different things that will be... Um, look like points for the enemy. Lord, in the end, we know that he won't be standing. And we ask that you give us the strength that with you, by your might and at your side, you would give us the grace to stand. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, let's stand now and we close the worship.